Well, good evening, everyone. Please turn with me in God's Word. We're going to read a passage from Hebrews 11 and then read our Beatitude. And as Pastor Rich mentioned, this is uh, the last in this series on the Beatitudes, but my plan is to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. So we will be continuing in Matthew uh, next Lord's Day. So Hebrews chapter 11, this is a well-known passage of Scripture, the Hall of Faith. And we're going to read verses 1 to 3 and then drop down to verse 23. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And then go down to verse 23 to the end of the chapter. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to Flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain by the, with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And then please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word this evening. Well, Open Doors, as many of you know, is an organization that represents the persecuted church. And the statistics from this organization are staggering. It says one in seven Christians worldwide are persecuted. One in five Christians in Africa are persecuted. Two in five Christians in Asia are persecuted for their faith. Churches are being attacked. Christians are being killed, imprisoned. Persecution is very real. It is very dangerous to stand for Christ, for in doing so, you're standing against this world. And Jesus speaks of persecution in this final beatitude. And remember, the beatitudes are marks of the Christian faith. They're kingdom values. And so it's important that you measure yourself against these. If you want to know if something is genuine, you look for a hallmark. You look for something of significance. So if I gave you a dollar bill with King Charles's head printed on it, well, you would know it's not genuine. No, you would be looking for George Washington. You would want to know he's on it for it to be genuine currency. And likewise, the Beatitudes are the marks of genuine Christians. And these signs point to the validity of your faith in Christ. And today we come to the truth that persecution is a mark of the Christian faith. Now remember the Beatitudes build on each other. So it's not a case that you pick and choose which ones that you like. All eight of them are to be a reflection of every believer. And the first four are about our relationship with God. So we are poor in spirit, recognizing that before God we are spiritually bankrupt. And yet the blessing of recognizing this is that Christ gives us the kingdom of heaven, even though we have contributed nothing. We are to recognize what we do contribute is our sin. And so the right response is to mourn our sin, to repent of it, but then to know the blessing of Christ's comfort. This poverty in spirit, our sinfulness, well, that should help us see that we are humble. And as a result, we are meek, we are gentle. And yet in Christ, we shall inherit the earth. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes these Beatitudes as steps up the mountain. And at the top of the mountain, we are filled. We have no righteousness of our own, but Christ fills us with his righteousness. And then coming down the mountain, since we have been filled, we overflow to this world that we live in. And so the remaining Beatitudes are about our relationship with this world. In receiving mercy from Christ, we show mercy to others. In receiving a pure heart, we do not want to be distracted by this world, but we keep our focus on Christ. Knowing peace with God through Christ, we seek peace with others. But then this last beatitude is different in that it's not something that we do. It's something that we receive from this world. Persecution. Strivener writes, we're empty before God, 
filled by Jesus, we flew out into the world, and how does the world react to us? The way they reacted to Jesus, with rejection and hostility. And so this beatitude is different in another way in that Jesus takes two verses to explain what he means. This is not a throwaway comment. No, Jesus is wanting you to take persecution seriously. And so I want you to notice persecution is part of the Christian life. So do not be surprised by it, but rejoice, for Jesus Christ was persecuted to bring you into the kingdom. And so you are to count it a privilege to share with him in his suffering. Now, children, I'm asking you to draw a picture of the prophet Daniel. Jesus mentioned uh, in this passage that the prophets were persecuted also. And in Hebrews, we read, we, read of, uh, we read of different prophets who were persecuted. And I wonder if any of the kids could tell me, why was Daniel persecuted? What did he do? Or what would he not do? <laughs> Anybody know? Maybe we need an adult to help them out. If you don't sit with your parents, it's a struggle. <laughs> Thank you, Isaiah. Yeah, he prayed. And he was told not to pray to God, and, uh, but he kept on praying. And what happened to him because he kept on praying? Did they let him go? Yes, Lewis? Yeah, he's tossed into the lion pit. So he was persecuted for standing God, and he continued to stand, and we see how God rewarded him for his commitment. He sustained him and protected him from the lions. So, firstly, I want you to notice that persecution is part of your Christian life. Well, persecution seems very far away from us here in the West. We're not being imprisoned. Our church building has not been destroyed. None of us are in fear of losing our lives for being a Christian here in Bloomington. But let's look closely at the text. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, a reviler is someone who speaks in an insulting manner to shame or demean someone. Persecute, that speaks of physical harm and saying all kinds of evil against you falsely, well, that speaks of verbal abuse, of slander, of being condemned falsely. And so while we often think of persecution as physical, persecution is also verbal. And frequently in the West, we hear of this verbal abuse. The media, it continues to mock and insult Christianity. It's about jokes in a way that Islam and other religions would never experience. At school or university, Christians are belittled as ignorant, as from another era, even as dangerous. In many families where someone identifies as LGBT, the Christians in those families are told to be quiet, or they're not invited for not affirming that family member's identity. Christianity is the message of truth, and yet it's scorned as something that is false, that's dangerous, that's unloving, that's intolerant. And so the world is upholding lies and attacking the truth of the gospel. In certain workplaces, it can be impossible to be a Christian. And as a result, we are tempted to downplay our Christian faith. 
I was listening to the testimony of a woman, Heather Tomlinson, who worked as a journalist for the left-leaning Guardian newspaper in London. And this was before she was a Christian, but some tragedy was unfolding on the TVs in the Guardian offices. And she surprised herself by saying, these folk need our prayers. And someone quickly responded, why would you do that? That's what's happening here in the West. Yes, the persecution isn't violent, but you are told to compartmentalize it. You are told, keep it to Sunday. You are told, keep that to yourself. But at the same time, you are told to accept the world's values. It's not even a case of tolerating it. You have to accept it. And so more and more, we are seeing legislation that makes being a Christian increasingly difficult. And the goal is to silence us. And sadly, it's working. Christians rarely speak out. We think we are the only ones and that our voice will accomplish nothing. No, you need to be bold and make a stand. And it can be surprising to see what support you will have and what your example encourages and how your example encourages others to stand up for Christ. So don't believe the lies of this world that you are not relevant. Now, while I am nervous to compare what we are experiencing to what the persecuted church faces, it would be foolish to think that we are not experiencing persecution at all. Yes, it is very different, but what we are facing appears to be very successful in discouraging Christians. Myers writes, enemies that come loudly and visibly are usually much easier to fight than those that are undetectable. And Dodson says, physical persecution is a clear summons to faith, but invisible persecution is a subtle and slow subversion of faith. And so persecution is real. It's part of the Christian life. And as you demonstrate the other Beatitudes, you're also to see that persecution is something that you will face for being a Christian. So secondly, you're not to be surprised by persecution. I want you to imagine being at a wedding and the couple are making their vows. I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, but not for worse, for richer, but not for poorer, not in sickness, but only in health, to love and to cherish until parted, not by death, but when I'm no longer interested in you. This is my solemn vow. That would be shocking. To only be prepared for the happy moments, but not for the difficult times. In marriage, that would be wrong. No, marriage is a commitment, both the good times and the bad times. But sadly, that is often a reflection of us as believers. As Christians, we falsely believe that Christianity will provide for us this easy life. And there are many that teach this prosperity gospel, that having Jesus in your life will make it easier. There are those who teach that it will make you healthy and even prosperous. And part of the reason this false teaching resonates within us is because we so highly value comfort and ease. Our pain threshold is very low. And this was certainly highlighted during the pandemic. And sadly, churches were not leading the way. Many remained closed for months on end, even over a year, and met instead in the comfort of their homes. 
Instead, we are not to be surprised by persecution. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Dodson writes, Persecution is a when, not an if, for those who follow Jesus. Jesus says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we read of that earlier in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. Persecution was a reality for these men and women who in faith followed God. Why should we expect anything different? And if you're not prepared for persecution, well, do not be surprised if you end up turning away from your faith altogether. In the parable of the sower, we read of the seed that falls among the rocks. And the seed grows up quickly when the sun comes up, the seed quickly dies in the heat because it has no root. And Jesus explains the application of this. Mark 4, verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. And so persecution will force you to choose between God and this world. You cannot serve two masters. You will have to choose which one you will serve. I wonder if you've ever walked alongside someone, you're holding hands, it's your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend or it's your children, and to do this, you have to walk at the same pace. It doesn't matter how fast everyone else around you is walking. If you walk too fast, you won't be able to keep in step. You soon will not be holding hands. I remember Heather and I walking together and Heather having to tell me to slow down to remind me that she is wearing heels. So, man, remember that. So, in a similar way, you are to keep in step with Christ. You hold hands with Him. You will be out of step with this world, and the world will not tolerate that. For in doing so, you are challenging the world, and you are challenging the world's values. Don't be surprised by persecution. As a Christian, you are not in step with this world. Instead, you are in step with Christ. Well, thirdly, remember it's persecution for righteousness' sake. So Jesus clarifies the reason why we are persecuted. You're only to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not all Christians suffer for righteousness' sake. Sadly, many Christians can be difficult people. They show a little tact. They are unreasonable. They don't do their job properly. They even use Christianity, their commitment to church, as an excuse as to why they can't fulfill their responsibilities at home or at work. They bring persecution on themselves because of their poor behavior. I can think of Christians who protest and they use vile terms. They inflame the situation. They are behaving not righteously, but self-righteously. And the result is they are a poor witness. And they often use persecution in a way to validate themselves. No, you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for doing the right thing. Paul speaks of this in 2 Timothy 3. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus 
will suffer persecution. The previous beatitude considered how we are to be peacemakers. And it maybe seems strange to go from peace to persecution. Surely, if we are peacemakers, there won't be any persecution. If we are a church that communicates peace to our neighborhood, surely our neighborhood will find us attractive. Why would they respond with persecution? As Christians, yes, we are to be merciful. We are to be holding out peace to this world, but we are also to be different to the rest of this world. The gospel message that we hold to is not welcomed. People don't want to hear that they are sinners. They don't want to acknowledge that they need a savior. And so our very existence, it condemns the world. John Stott writes, this is a long quotation. I hope you can read it, read along. Persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. The values and standards of Jesus are in direct conflict with the commonly accepted values and standards of the world. The world judges the rich to be blessed, not the poor, the happy-go-lucky and the carefree to be blessed, not those who take evil so seriously that they mourn over it, the strong and brash to be blessed, not the meek and gentle, the fool to be blessed, not the hungry, those who mind their own business to be blessed, not those who meddle in other men's matters and occupy their time and do goodery, like showing mercy and making peace, those who attain their ends, even if necessary, by devious means are seen as blessed in this world, not the pure in heart who refuse to compromise their integrity. Those who are secure and popular and live at ease are blessed, not those who have to suffer persecution. And John Piper, he puts it well when he says, if you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. Our Christian values make us very different to this world. And the result is we become an obstacle to them that they want to remove. My kids love uh, these children's museums, and we were at one the other day down in Evansville, and one of the popular exhibits is that of you get to play with water. It's like a river of water, and the children get to put in barriers to slow down the water and to dam it up. And, of course, the kids like to get soaked in the process. Well, in many ways, as Christians, we are standing in this fast-flowing river, and by seeking to live righteously, you are standing against the flow, the onslaught of the world. You are feeling the pressure of a world that is different to our values of righteousness. And the result is, we are persecuted. And if you're not being persecuted, if you're not facing hardship, maybe you need to ask why. Are you in line with the world? 
And that's why you don't face resistance. Instead, live for righteousness. And as a result, be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, fourthly, you are to rejoice in persecution. For in Christ, he promises you the blessing of a reward in heaven. I remember doing door-to-door in Galway, which is in the west of Ireland, about 15 years ago, and going up to someone at the door saying, my name's Philip, and I'm with Covenant Fellowship Church, and I'm going around the neighborhood asking people about their spiritual beliefs. Uh, Would you be free to talk for a few minutes? And straight away, this guy told me where to go with explicit words. It was pretty shocking. Most people are not interested, but most people are polite in how they tell you. But this man certainly wasn't. And I was telling this later to a friend that evening, and he was like, that's great. You are persecuted for Christ's sake. You're persecuted for spreading the gospel. I must admit I wasn't thinking about it in that way. But in a way, he was right. Too often we are overly concerned about what others think. We're too concerned with man's opinions. My persecution, it does hurt. Jesus is not denying that. But he says, you will be rewarded for it. Let's not think of persecution as a way to gain favor with God. We cannot earn God's favor, not even by being persecuted. But God, in his graciousness, he rewards us. Meaning for all the persecution we face in this life, we will gain something greater. Now, this church does a great memory verse program for the kids, and if the kids learn many verses, they will gain a reward, money to spend on the book table. Now, in one sense, children, we are not obligated to give you money. There's nothing in the Bible that says if you learn X number of verses, you will gain money. But the church here is rewarding you, encouraging you to keep up the hard work of memorizing God's Word. And likewise, we see a blessing, a reward for those who are persecuted for Christ. Albright Mann says the reward is so far beyond anything which men could possibly obtain by their own goodness that the very word reward has something of an irony about it. So yes, you will face persecution. You may be deprived of promotion at work, because of certain Christian beliefs that you hold on to. But no, you have a greater reward in heaven. Your friends may mock you. They may ostracize you from their group. But no, you have a greater reward in heaven. So whatever it is, you may lose everything here on earth. No, you will be rewarded in heaven. And so keep your focus on Christ through him. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Tim Chalice writes, when everything in your life is great, when everyone around you looks and affirms you, it's easy to say the world's not so bad. But when you're hated and mocked, you understand, these are not my people. This is not my place. The promise of a reward is an encouragement. Jesus gives the parable of the pearl of great price to remind us just how valuable the kingdom of heaven is. It's worth more than anything that this world has to offer. And so see beyond this world, and you will see that the kingdom of heaven is the one thing worth all the sufferings of this world. Do good says, he tells you, well done, good and faithful servant. You fought the good fight. You've demonstrated your faithfulness to me.
Now come, enter my joy. That's why Jesus tells us to rejoice and be glad. You're not to become depressed. You're not to become stoical in your response. But you can find joy, knowing that you will be rewarded in heaven. And then finally, Jesus Christ was persecuted, and so you are to count it a privilege to share with him in his suffering. Paul speaks of this in Philippians 3. Yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Your desire, my desire, is to know Christ more and more. And Jesus Christ, he embodies this beatitude as he embodies all eight of the beatitudes. He was poor in spirit. He mourned over sin. He was gentle and meek. He hungered for righteousness. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. Jesus himself was persecuted. He said in John 15, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, yes, his suffering was to obtain our salvation. The persecution that we face does not achieve that. But you and I, we are called to share in his humiliation, to have fellowship in his suffering, to know the pain that he went through, to be reviled and to be persecuted for his sake. During the Thanksgiving break, I managed to crack a rib and it was really painful, especially sleeping at night. Well, my dad also cracked a couple of ribs a few years ago. And it's not until I experienced that, the same thing, I was able to understand a little of the suffering that he went through. But we want to know Christ. Being persecuted for his sake, that helps you know him. And the apostles demonstrated this. After they were arrested by the chief priests, we read of them being beaten and commanded not to speak of Christ to anyone before they were released. And we read in Acts 5, and so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They counted a privilege to suffer for Christ. The persecution that they went through, it did not deter them. If anything, it encouraged them to teach daily whether it's in the temple, whether it was in the home, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so persecution did not stop them. They knew that they were secure. In Christ, they would know a reward in heaven. So don't let persecution put you off. See it instead as a privilege to know Christ better by sharing in his suffering, that it would stir up within you a love for him, and so dedicate yourself all the more to serving him, no matter the cost. And so persecution is part of the Christian life. Don't be surprised by that, but rejoice, for Jesus Christ was persecuted to bring you into the kingdom of heaven. And so you are to count it a privilege to share with him in his suffering. 
And this is certainly evident in the persecuted church. God is blessing the persecuted church in this world. The center of Christianity is no longer in the West. It's moved. It's now in Africa. It's now in East Asia, in places where it is physically dangerous to be a believer. And so I encourage you, even if you've got time this week, to look up the Open Doors website and see where, what God is doing in these lands. Every year, since 1993, Open Doors releases what it calls the World Watch List. This is a list of countries where Christians face the most persecution. And in the last 30 years, the number of countries where Christians suffer high and extreme levels of persecution has doubled now to 76 countries. One of the worst countries is, surprisingly, Nigeria. It's ranked number six. And Nigeria has a large Christian population, but it's also a divided country, with the north being mainly Muslim, the south mainly Christian. And Christians in the north are brutally attacked by various militant groups, and the target is often women and children who they abduct and they sell into sex trafficking. And yet the government of Nigeria, they continue to deny that this is religious persecution. That these, and so these attacks are not followed up. Remember, this is not a dominant Muslim country. And yet the Christian voice in that land is not heard. Worldwide, there were last year 5,621 Christians who were killed for their faith. And 90% of those where in Nigeria. And so it's important that we are aware of the persecution that our brothers and sisters are facing, but that we are also aware of how they are being blessed in their persecution. In our denomination, we are increasingly involved in countries where Christians are targeted. And so it's important to be interested, to know what our brothers and sisters are facing so we can pray for them. Paul speaks of rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. And as Christians, we are united to these believers. And so even the persecution that they face, we should feel that. Ultimately, it is against Christ, who is our Lord, who is our Savior. So persecution is part of the Christian life. Don't be surprised by it. But let us rejoice, for Jesus Christ was persecuted to bring you into his kingdom. And so kind of the privilege to share with him in his suffering. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is a difficult beatitude to finish on. We much prefer comfort and ease and going along with the world than standing apart and committing ourselves to you. Lord, help us not to be surprised by persecution. Help us to see that our world has very different values. We pray that we would be persecuted for the right reasons. And so, Lord, help us to search our hearts and see that we are being persecuted for righteousness' sake and not for being difficult or self-righteous. Father, we thank you for the blessing and persecution that you have promised us a reward, that because of Christ, we enjoy a future in the kingdom of heaven. Help us as a result, then, to endure persecution. And we do pray particularly uh, for those uh, brothers and sisters who are facing physical persecution. We're mindful of them, that you would give them a boldness to endure. And we thank you that you indeed are blessing them for this. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, please turn in your psalm book to Psalm 69a. The psalmist here is facing opposition, and so he cries out to God. But then notice in verse 13, his confidence in God. He trusts in God's loving kindness. And let us likewise cry out to God in our trouble and know his salvation. So let's stand and sing Psalm 69a. Thank <laughs> you. 